Good morning. It's good to see y'all here. Welcome to Midtown Church again. Uh, my name is Adam, one of the uh, pastors on staff here. It's great to have y'all here with us today. Isn't it nice to see some sunshine? Exactly. We're having to get reacquainted to what that is. Well, it is good to see y'all here. Um, and this morning, we uh, get the privilege of diving back into uh, the Gospel of John. For those of you who... Uh, your brain works and remember, remember stuff like this. Uh, you'll remember Jake actually started a series in the book of John uh, sometime in the recent past. I can't remember the dates. That's okay. But, and he tackled this first kind of chunk of the, the book of the gospel of John in the New Testament. And in fact, we're going to be kind of going through that, that book over, over a series of time, kind of handling it like this, you know, looking at a chunk of it and then, you know, doing some other series and coming back to it. But over time, getting through the entire book of John. So we're studying the book of John. At the outset, though, because this is kind of our first day back to it, I thought it would kind of afford us a chance just to say a couple things about the nature of how we go about this that, that may be helpful or fill in some blanks, which one of those questions is just, why do we study or teach from like the Bible directly? You'll probably notice that most of our, you know, the, the sermons that you'll hear here, 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 two different spellings, uh, come, we try to come directly from that, right? And, and today we'll actually get a chance to kind of look behind the curtains a little bit by the nature of this passage. And we'll maybe speak to that a little more thoroughly, but just in short form, like we teach from it because we have this conviction that it's the testimony of God, the, the word of God that teaches us about him and, and how to relate to him and what he's like and all those things, right? And so, in other words, it, it has the voice of authority, and, and that's what we need to come to. That's why we, why we teach from it. Um, but, but let me kind of ask the secondary question, why books of the Bible? You know, sometimes uh, Jake or whoever, you know, might be teaching will we'll go through a book, much like we are John here. Not always. You know, sometimes we'll look at topics that are hit on in different parts of the Bible in a series, right? But why study books of the Bible? And part of that is, is tied into the, to that view of Scripture as well, which, again, we'll, we'll spend a little more time on today. But um, believing that not only does it have a, a message that hits all times, but the, the way God chose to communicate was in a time. In other words, the, the books of Scripture themselves were written to an audience and were written as a whole unit, and it's helpful to look at those. I mean, for all the reasons that your uh, third through fifth grade grammar teachers taught you of understanding language, right? Like you don't, uh, it, it helps us not pull things out of context or try to make a passage say something that it's not really saying, right? So when you can take a look at a book Sequentially, it gives us better understanding, right? And so that's just like a little bit of, of backdrop stuff. But let me make just one little practical aside on that. You know, maybe uh, your experience c- could be anywhere, you know, uh, that you attend a church or maybe you look back at times in, in past where you've attended and you're like, well, some weeks I feel like I really kind of get a lot out of, you know, that Sunday morning or that message or that sermon or whatever. And other weeks I feel like I get less out of uh, in let me just kind of give you one key that I think will help multiply that factor, no matter uh, you know, what book you're in, who's, who's teaching, any of that kind of stuff. And that's really to get into it yourself. And so there's just a real practical side. We're, ju- we're jumping back in the book of John, and this Gospel of John was written as a, as a whole unit. Here's just a little challenge to you this week, is take, you know, maybe just take one night uh, where you don't watch Breaking Bad reruns or whatever it is uh, for you, and just say, this is my night. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of 
take one sitting, and I just want to get all the way through it, and just sit down and read it front to back. If, if you feel like you've, you're moderately familiar with John, maybe try it in a translation that you don't typically read in, um, that will help you not let the familiarity of the language kind of shield you from really you know, comprehending what it's saying. But there's, there's something that's really helpful about just taking it in as a whole, digesting it and letting it, and letting it speak. Anyway, that's all just by way of introduction. Um, this morning, we're looking at the second half of the book of John. Let me just give you like a couple sentences of context, because where, where we broke, um, we need to hear a little bit of, of where, where we ended the last series of John for today's passage to really make sense. So we're in John chapter 5. We'll read it here in just a moment. But here's the setting. Jesus uh, just ticked off a lot of religious leaders, <laughs> and he did it in a way that you're like, well, I don't, I don't get it why they're frustrated here. He healed someone on the Sabbath. And this, that's what happens at the beginning of John. And, and part of what we'll see here as we get into this passage is not only did, were these people that really took the scriptures really seriously, but they also had added a lot of peripheral rules and laws and regulations that kind of directed really down to every minutiae part of life. And a lot of what he's doing here is breaking those peripheral things, right, that they had written on top. And they're um, very irksome <laughs> to these people how Jesus is going about his life and his ministry. And they're calling into account. So up until this point, you know, he's also making these claims both overtly and subtly to uh, being God <laughs> come to earth. And so they're, they're troubled on multiple levels here. Uh, Jesus' claims to who he is and if in the slightest we would ever consider you that claim to be truth, that you are who you say you are, we certainly would not expect you to be doing this, you know, healing on the Sabbath or breaking one of uh, these, you know, these rules that we think need to be upheld, that kind of a deal, right? And so that's the context that, that Jesus, he's basically going to speak to. Um, okay, you're, in, a, in a way you're saying, give me more testimony, give me more evidence. It's almost, as you read this whole chapter, it's almost like some courtroom kind of language that you hear and hear of testimonial evidence to his claim uh, to, to be who he is and why he's doing what he's doing. And so that's what, what basically we're going to hear Jesus' answer to that, to that question today. Let me pray briefly, and let's read this passage together. Father, uh, as we pause this morning to look at your word, God, I ask you for help, Lord, that the, the words, um, God, here would be clearly yours. Uh, God, help the, the truth of your scripture uh, to be what we leave with. Uh, God, give us help for understanding and comprehension. Uh, God, may we leave here not just with more knowledge, as Jason prays for every week, that we would be transformed. Uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so follow with me here. This is John 5. We're going to start reading in verse uh, 31. He says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it so that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. 
You study the scripture diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. And these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but, not, uh, but do not seek glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before, uh, sorry, but do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? All right. So I kind of take it, take it in some sections here and tell you how I want to walk through this here. First, we'll look kind of at the, the beginning part, looking at, as we're saying, the setup here, kind of the evidences Jesus presents for himself, the evidences for Jesus' claims. Then we're going to look at Jesus' view of Scripture, then Jesus' use of Scripture, uh, and how we can hear from the Scripture. So the, the evidences for his claims, his view of Scripture, his use of Scripture, and how we can hear from the Scripture. Uh, so first, you know, as I was saying before, Jesus here is really kind of some, sometimes overtly prior to this passage and sometimes subtly, you know, makes his, his claims to be God. And the Pharisees and a lot of his religious leaders are kind of pushing back on him here. And he's asking, in a way, asking for eyewitness claims. And um, it's like he's saying to them here in this moment, yes, I am making these, these bold claims uh, to being God. Uh, but let me give you further evidence. You know, he's offering these these things up here, right? If you're, and I might might even say here for a moment, like if you're uh, if you're a Christian and you're struggling with kind of doubts related to some of that, or maybe you're just maybe feel like you kind of stand from the outside and you exploring, but intrigued and like, but asking some of those harder questions, right? That I think Jesus is trying to speak to here. If you're struggling to believe in God, let me just ask this question because I think this is some of what Jesus is trying to put his finger on today. Are you going? to the places where God speaks. So in other words, if you're going to evaluate, if you're going to ask the hard questions and doubt, which is okay to, are you going to go to the places, though, where those doubts would have a chance to be answered? Um, and, this, and I think what Jesus is trying to do is put forward three types of evidences in this passage. And really, what's neat about these is that these three types of evidences are still very available to us today. And here's the first one. I would just call it the human evidence. And this is John the Baptist, what he talked about there. You know, he, his words are, are, are pretty strong. You know, he said he was a burning and shining light. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever complimented a friend that way. It might get you some, like, really awkward looks from them. I mean, Darren has said that, I know, a couple times to other people, and it's kind of a, it's just a thing he does. But Jesus here is, like, using this thing, this compliment to, about John, not to John, right? But he's talking about him. And what I think is he's saying here is not so much talking about John as a prophet, though he kind of had a prophetic role in helping Israel know Jesus, who he, he was, who he said he was, right? But I think he's looking at the life and person of John, that he was this really radiant person, like in his character, and people were drawn to him. Like you'll see this in different parts of the Gospels. Like, like he would have these flocks of people coming out to to hear him preach, and and like there's just this like there's this intrigue with him. And I think a lot of it was about who uh, he was. It's, and often this is, I think, the first way that God kind of speaks in our life. And you might say it's like, it's the personal. 
that it's the people or maybe a person that God's put in your life whose life is filled with integrity. They're joyful. <laughs> There's something a little more solid about them, if you will. And, but yeah, you, you know, and if you've gotten them close, you know, you can might know them well enough to know, I think there's a, a source other than themselves for how they, for why they are, how they are. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here about John the Baptist. There's, there's, uh, his life gives testimony in a way to who uh, Jesus is. And we still need those time, some types of evidence, you know. Now, these aren't enough by themselves, but they're real nonetheless. And I think that's what Jesus is drawing our attention to here. The next one, we're going to move quickly on these, is, is Jesus' works. Is verse 36 uh, talks about that. Uh, the works and the life of Jesus. These are what the Gospels call his signs. They're like these kind of uh, extraordinary miracles um, that really tie in who Jesus is and the purpose for which he came. And they help connect big meaning of, of everything you can read in the Old Testament about the Messiah and God's plan for you know, fixing what's wrong with this world. And that, th- those kind of signs. And even at the time that John writes this Gospel, one of those signs was Jesus' own death and resurrection himself, Right? And so it's, it's, this works evidence, you know, if, if John was the human, the personal evidence, this is more of what you could call more of the empirical evidence about Jesus' life and claims. And, the, you know, it's, it's looking at his life, his claims, his character, his resurrection, the historical evidence for who he was and his life and all that kind of stuff. And the, the third he lists here, this is really where the bulk of the message is going to be, so I won't say a lot about it right now, but it's, it's the scripture itself. And you, can, you see that in here, right? Like the writings of Moses and, and pointing to the scriptures often. It's the reading, believing, searching the scriptures to see how uh, Jesus connects with, with their writing and do they point us to him. Before we dive into that one, though, it's, I just, let me just ask a couple questions here. Like if, if you find yourself really struggling with, with those doubts and big questions, it's the one I was asked before. You know, you're putting yourself in a place where you can hear God speak. You know, do you have the burning and shining light kind of person in your life that you know up close. A lot of, a lot of you do. Probably some of you might even be here or in past you know, churches that you've been a part of, be, not because of a great billboard or website, but because you knew a real person whose life had been changed and was full of joy and integrity and all those sorts of things, right? And, and it, it was a big first step of God's testimony in your life, this evidence of Jesus' claims to who he said he was. If, but on the contrary, if you feel like, gosh, I, I don't know, like, you know, if I have seen that up close, I would just encourage you to, if you see someone that looks that way, go find out, you know, build that relationship, be their friend, ask some questions, you know, well, why? You know, what's, what's changing your life? You know, it's... Uh, What's caused that, that change in them? And, you know, the other one is, you know, have you, have you studied the evidence around the life of Jesus? Um, had good friends that would say this, and this isn't exactly parallel, but say, if, you know, if you want to be a leader, you've got to be a reader. I think the same thing applies here. If, you're, if you're, you're trying to ask the hard questions, either as believers shoring up doubts that are in your, in your life, or as someone trying to decide, am I going to believe? Look, have you looked for yourself? You know, have you read? Have you studied? And are you searching the scriptures? And I would say, until you've done these three things, you can't really say, to be honest, you can't really say you've, you've examined all the evidence and put yourself in the place to where you can hear God speak and maybe, you know, kind of evaluate for yourself if, you, if, if you're tracking with me. 
know, and, if, and on the contrary to that, if, you're, if you are a believer and you're like, gosh, I just have this, this friend, this family member, that man, I just would long for them to know what I know, know the Lord the way I do, to have this rich relationship with God. I think the fundamental question for us being in that situation is, are we being that John the Baptist type, that radiant life that is genuine and yet the, the fruit of what God's bearing in your life, are you letting it be seen, right? Like that, that's what your friends, your family need to see as well. And this, those, are, you know, those are the testimonies Jesus offers you know, to, to these opponents, you might say. Um, but let's look here. Next, I've told you, is Jesus' view of Scripture. Now, now, while Jesus presents these other two testimonies of John and his own signs and works, uh, he really gives, when you look at this passage, he really gives primary place to the scriptures themselves, which is really startling, I, I think, in my estimation. Um, because it's the only one that he says really is the Father's testimony. It's, it's God's testimony about Jesus. Um, and what we're going to learn here is, in a way, indirectly, we learn Jesus' view of scripture. I say indirectly because when you look at the passage, what Jesus is actually doing is kind of attacking their, their use of Scripture. But in the process, like you end up kind of getting a good look at the grid through which he actually views the, the Scriptures themselves. And it's very insightful, and, and I think we, don't, we can't miss over it here. What he's attacking really in the Pharisees' view of Scripture, uh, when we see these, it's really two, two things that we learn. I want to draw out here from this passage about Jesus' view of Scripture. The first one is this. Uh, I would just say it this way, that we see in his view that Scripture is a divine, not a human book. Scripture is a divine, not a human book. Uh, now, he doesn't, now you're very clear in this, you'll, say, you'll see in this passage, he doesn't say it wasn't written by humans or that humans weren't involved. In fact, Moses is specifically mentioned in here, right? But if you look at it in verse 31, right, he says at the beginning of this passage that what we need is a human testimony. I mean, the human testimony isn't enough, excuse me. And when you look at verse 37, he's saying what we need is the Father's testimony. And he finishes, like he equates that, look at verse 39 here, he equates what the Father's testimony is, is the writings of Moses or the words of Scripture. And so he's saying the human testimony is not enough. We need the Father's voice, and the Father's voice is Scripture. If you look at Matthew Matthew 19, it's it's a similar passage where Jesus is doing kind of the same thing I think he's doing here. In Matthew 19, you have Jesus quoting, uh, you know, in like a you know technical sense, right? It's like a quote. He's quoting God the Father from Genesis chapter two, uh, verse it's two twenty four. And if you go back and you look at Genesis two twenty four, it's Moses actually making a comment about God's God the Father's work in creation. You tracking with me? So Moses, when you go back and look at the at the quote Jesus attributes to God, it's actually not like. You know, and a voice came from the clouds, and the God the Father said, and I quote, right? It's Moses commenting on God's work in creation that he writes in Genesis, but Jesus attributes Moses' writing directly to God the Father himself. And that's the same uh, thing he's saying here. That in other words, what a biblical author says about God, as is, it's as if God said it himself, Right? It's, it's, you see the same thing in Peter. Let me put, I think I had this one put up there, though I typed it like I did in my notes, and I think I typed it crucially wrong. We'll find out here. But, but Peter says this in Second Peter chapter 1. He says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's um, own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever, produ- uh, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God 
as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is Peter kind of giving us the, you know, similar, uh, what we see in Jesus' practical use of Scripture, you see Peter trying to give actual you know, explanation to. What Jesus is saying uh, is what Peter's saying, that though you have different human authors writing Scripture, what they're writing is the testimony of God. So the Scripture is divine, not a human book. But secondly, the thing you see here about Jesus' view of Scripture is that it's not only uh, is divine revelation, but it's the most sure or certain of God's divine revelation. Like there might be other ways God lets himself be known, but this is the, mo- this is the one that's the most certain. There's one thing you see here in Jesus. Look, look at our passage here. If you've got your Bible, look at verse 37. He's, he's talking to these Pharisees and he says, you've never heard his voice uh, or seen his form. And yet, he said, you have the scriptures, you have the testimony of the Father. What I'm trying to draw out here is, uh, you know, they don't have these, like, voice from the sky or a vision, you know, or something like that in front of them. But they have the testimony, they do have uh, God's testimony in the form of scriptures. Second, let me look, look here a little further at Second Peter 1. I uh, gave you verse 20, but leading up to it gives a bit more insight here. Uh, starting in, I think, in verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we spoke to you uh, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. And let me just add on verse 20 to tie it in to a moment ago. It's where Peter then says, No prophecy of scripture comes about by one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you hear what, he, what he's saying here? Let me just give like, touch of context because he's alluding to a really powerful voice or vision kind of moment that he himself personally experienced that are in, I think, three of the Gospels. It's, if, if you're familiar with the Gospels, it's what's called uh, the tra- Jesus' transfiguration. And he took uh, Peter, who's writing this, and James and John, and they went up on this uh, mountain outside of Jerusalem. And this like scene, like you would think, this could be a Hollywood script. Peter Jackson would have fun with this. Like, it's where Jesus like, says he kind of pulls back the curtains a bit and shows them in a little more form like the glory of him being God. And you, like, there's smoke and the ground shaking and like, all the, like, the special effects are happening. And they actually like, hear God's voice say there, you know, what, what he quotes there, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's a very unusual scene, right? But Peter's saying, that happened, right, James, right, John? Like, that happened. And, like, I don't, like, it's hard to put myself in their shoes at times, but, like, I think if that happened, that would be one of those nights where you're like, uh, I'm probably never going to forget that, and I think I should, I don't know if I should tell everyone I know or no one I know. Like, it was just that kind of experience, right? But I would think from the inside, that would be a really life-altering experience, and, like, wow, like, I actually got to hear the voice of God the Father speak. And then he says, we have a more certain word, <laughs> the scriptures. Here's someone who heard, you know, 
God the Father speak? And he says, we have a more certain, the, word, the prophetic word made more certain, the scriptures that were, as men spoke, carried along by God. Paul says very similar in Galatians 1. He says, um, this is another great passage to spend a lot of time on, but he, in short, he says in verse 8, he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. You know, get him out of here, right? Kind of a statement, right? Strong language. Um, Jesus's, Peter's, uh, Paul's view of scripture is that it's the, when you're reading it, you're reading the testimony of the Father. So let's just ask the question that, that all of us either ha- have asked, still, still linger, um, will ask, aren't there just parts of the Bible uh, we just can't take anymore? Like, okay, I, I can maybe like the, some of the, the highlights or the big picture or things like that, but there's just some parts. Like, I just, like, we've lived through the Enlightenment, you know? I mean, how many generations has that been, you know? It feels archaic, it feels, a, you know, aged in, in some aspects, right? Um, Jesus, <laughs> we just, there's some things we just can't believe anymore. I think what he'd say here is, why not? You know, well, experts say, you know, or people say, or our trend, you know, in, in, our, in our Western country culture right now says, people, you know, experts, trends, he's saying if, if an angel itself were to show up here on this stage in Brecker Woods this morning and be preaching a, a, a different message other than the message of scriptures, He's saying we should, we should throw him out. I mean, I think I would ask you know, Alex probably to do that. I don't want to throw him out because he's probably bigger than me. But like, we should, like, if a, if a supernatural vision were to show up here today and say this is different than the writings of scriptures, Paul, Paul's saying let them be accursed, throw, throw them out. So if a supernatural, like, showing up vision were to show up in our presence today, giving a different message or teaching or writing, and Paul, and you know, I think similar to here with Jesus' message, Jesus would be saying that. How can we say, well, in this moment, in this day, in this part of history, we've really struggled with this. And so, in other words, the scripture has to judge and sift even the like, other supernatural or whatever things that might show up. Doesn't it have to judge and sift us? Judge and sift our hearts and judge and sift our moment, right? It's like this too. If, if we want to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus, but not believe in the complete authority of scriptures, there's a disconnect there. Jesus had a high view of scriptures authoritative as the true testimony of the father. Um, I don't know if any of y'all read this, uh, a little bit of a random um, investigative journal called Mother Jones. They had an article in there, does the Bible tell me so? Question mark. Um, it was a few years back. And this article is a gist of it, a long article, but here's what they were saying. You know, we modern people know that there's parts of the Bible we just can't accept anymore. We, especially we modern smart people, right? This is the tone of the article. I mean, you can read it, but that was definitely the tone of the article. We, we know that, right? And so a lot of us have thrown out the whole of it the whole thing. And then they're saying, but maybe we've like overreached there because if, if you can set aside 
truth, facts kind of approach to, to belief in the Bible, there's still some things you can engage with in more of a conversation. In other words, like if you see the Bible more as a record of, uh, you know, human chronicle, chronicle of human searching for God, and you can engage that conversation a little more, um, it's not truth per se, but if you can engage the conversation, it could, it could lead you to some more intimacy with the divine or something along that lines. This is the, the gist of the article. And uh, I'm going to lose some of you here with this, but I grew up this way and I can't hide it. Uh, it reminds me of an episode of the original Star Trek. <laughs> Captain Kirk Star Trek. Um, in fact, it's season one. Some of you are with me, but only probably one of you. Um, <laughs> It's this one, and there's this character that shows up, I think, for two episodes. His name was Harry Mudd. Anybody remember Harry Mudd? Oh, oh, wow. There was like six hands. Yes. (laughs) We can stop now. Okay, so you remember? Okay. So I think it's the second of the two episodes he's in. He ends up being on this planet. Where I think he's like the, maybe the only human there, but it's populated with these like gorgeous, beautiful, compliant robot women on this, on this planet. This is deep. You're with me, right? Uh, <laughs> and their, their every wish is yes, uh, yes, Harry, you know, yes, uh, Lord Mud, whatever you want. Uh, but in a prior storyline, like his, this isn't his home planet, he's lost his wife. He had a replica robot made of her. And, you know, I guess in loneliness, he would from time to time turn on that robot. You know, inevitably it would lead to her saying things like, uh, Harry, is that alcohol I smell on your breath? Uh, Harry, you, did you do such and such? And she's nagging him. And so he gets to this point where he's like, okay, I'm turning her back off. And he's like, you know, Harry, you, 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 you know, and he just flips, he flips her off, you know, whenever, whenever this happens. And I, that's, if you, you can't have a relationship with someone that you can simply shut off every time they say something that you don't agree with or that offends you or that goes contrary to where you are, right? I mean, that's not a relationship. And so to have an approach to say, well, maybe there's a way to view the scriptures differently here than Jesus' own view and think that it will lead to a real or intimate relationship with God, that's not how relationships work, right? Um, any of you that have been in any kind of relationship longer than a minute know that, and that's all of us in here. Uh, if we want to say, we know Jesus, but I don't want to share his view of scriptures, it was the linchpin to who he said he was and what his mission was all about. I mean, just let me just walk through a couple of them. I mean, when he's at the start of his ministry dealing with temptation in the wilderness, what does he do? He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but in every word proceeds from the mouth of the father. When he's about to be arrested and they can tell and Peter's there and he's feisty and fiery and a a fighter by nature, right? Uh, he starts to pull out a sword to, you know, this is, this is my dude. I'm going to defend him. And Jesus stays his hand and says, Peter, don't you know if I wanted to, I could call on 12 legions, legions of angels to come uh, to my aid. But then how would the scriptures be fulfilled? 
You know, he, a few scenes later in all the Gospels, right? Luke, Luke carries this one out very dramatically. He's carrying the cross through the town of Jerusalem. In Luke 24, he's, there's these women crying on the roadside as Jesus has been whipped and he's carrying his cross and he says, uh, you know, mothers of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. And he goes on to quote Hosea 10. <laughs> this is meant to happen. And he's on the cross itself, right? Dying, about to pass from life to death. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22.1. He's, quote, he's quoting scriptures. as a, His life and his death as a fulfillment of what all of the Old Testament was leading up to. Jesus <laughs> believed that the scriptures were the testimony of God. If we, and if we want to have a relationship with him, but don't want to fully buy into his view of scripture... There's a disconnect here, and what, I think what we're looking for isn't actually the real Jesus. You can't have Jesus and yet deny the very basis of his greatness by undermining uh, the book he said was, was all about him and his purpose and his coming. Uh, you can't just simply shut God off. Uh, eventually, you'll, we'll go crazy on that planet too. So that's Jesus' view of Scripture that serves us here, but We've got to talk on the other side, too, because this is really the thrust of this passage, and it's Jesus' use of Scripture. You know, th- this part to me is, is what's so shocking, because Jesus is saying that Moses and the writers of Scripture will call us, you know, and, and I think his reader, his audience then, too, will call us into judgment because we didn't listen. And what he's ta- who he's talking about here aren't people who might have a skeptical view of the Bible, He's actually talking to these Pharisees and leaders who have a quote-unquote right view of Scripture, right? They have a very high orthodox view of the Bible, as well as all their extraneous, you know, stuff that wasn't part of it. But they had a high view of the Bible. This this is the people he's talking to when he he says this. In other words, it's like this. Uh, We can have a view of... of, uh, (laughs) The, the sufficiency of Scripture, you know, the infallibility, its trustworthiness. We can get all those things technically right. And what Jesus is saying, we, it can be as if we didn't believe any of it at all, if we don't use Scripture the right way. Um, and let me, let me just draw out here, because I think these are two of these key things from this passage. What, what is he criticizing here about a wrong use of Scripture? And one is he's criticizing that they missed the purpose of Scripture. They missed the purpose of Scripture. I'm looking at verse 39. He says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Um, let me make this quick aside here. I don't do this very often. I think it's helpful. Like with even the New Testament Greek prepositions, the same one that's used here for in can also mean by or with. And I think by in this case actually makes more sense because this is what I think he's saying here. Um, he's, he's not saying you search the scriptures because you think it tells you how to find eternal life. I think what he's accusing them of is saying you, you study meticulously the Bible and know all of the knowledge and facts because you think that the study of scripture is the means by which you will attain favor from God. It's your moral effort in this direction that you think will please God the Father because you, you do this better than anybody, right? This is what he's uh, accusing them of here. And, and that would be true. I mean, I'm, a rudimentary understanding of the Pharisees and a lot of the teachers of the law 
that's, isn't that what they're known for, right? Like these, among other things, that these men knew the scriptures and, uh, and also the traditions of, the, of the, like the rabbis and the other books as well. Um, but let me, let me say this carefully. I'm trying to move quickly here, but I don't want you walking out saying, now, he talked a little fast. Now, what did he say? We, we shouldn't read and study the Bible, <laughs> you know? No, I'm not saying that, right? And I don't think Jesus is saying that either here. What he's saying is, are, are we reading the, the scriptures according to the purpose for which they were given? Um, and I'll just say it personally here. Like, I've had a lot of mornings where, like, I've woken up and I've gone to the Bible to read it, and I'll leave and I'll feel better, right? And sometimes that has been not because through the scriptures, I felt like I've really met with God. I've met Jesus. I've, I've grown in understanding and love for him and felt his transforming work and the broken aspects of my life and all that kind of stuff, right? It has, I mean, there's been that. And so I can tell the difference, right? There's been a lot of mornings where it's been, I think, what he's talking about, uh, that it's been a checking of the box uh, more than anything else, a, a means, uh, an end, not a means, they miss the purpose of Scripture, but also they miss the point of Scripture. So Jesus says that the Scripture has a point, a culmination, a focal point. And in a way, you might say there's a parallel between what he's saying about the Scripture as testimony here and what he said earlier about John the Baptist. As you look at the life of John the Baptist, he was constantly saying, uh, I'm not the one. I'm pointing to him. You know, I'm not, I'm not the Messiah. He's coming, right? That was his, he, he was constantly, that was his voice. In a way, I think he's trying to say scriptures are the same way, that they're, they're drawing our attention from its, not to itself, but to Jesus, you know, to, the, to the, the one who can redeem us, to the one who can connect us back to God. Uh, the scriptures aren't an end in that way, but, uh, but a means uh, toward that end. And that was Jesus's, that's how Jesus viewed scripture and how Jesus would prescribe using scripture as well. Last, let's, let's look at this. How can we hear him speak? You know, try to pull some of these strin- strings together here. To say it this way. Um, we've got to see, in a way, see Jesus through the whole of Scripture. Um, exposing our need for him, his character, uh, what, what God is like, uh, our longing for him, all those sort of things. Um, the authors of the Bible Knowledge Commentary said this. I thought this was, was, was helpful. He said, he said, many people today think Bible study is an end in itself rather than a function leading to the knowledge of God and godliness. Somehow a veil was over the minds of these Jewish scholars and they failed to see that Jesus is the promised one. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. He's the true servant of Yahweh. He's the coming prophet the Son of Man, the Davidic King, the promised Son of God, and the great High Priest. In spite of the clarity of revelation, they refused to come to him for life. The, it's about him, right? It's, it's not about us. It's not about looking at, at the prescription of how God commands to live and seeing it as a, a set of, of rules that if I can attain to, I will gain God's favor through my, through my effort, 
but it's about pointing us to our need for God and what he's done to restore us back to him. And we have to, to learn to read uh, about him and to meet him in the scriptures. Does that, does that mean it's not true? No. <laughs> I tried to press that, vo- that point. Of course it's true. Um, but if, if, you, if you read it, uh, w- as the Pharisees read it, it will lead us to the same thing it led them to, a prideful feeling like we've measured up or we'll be crushed when we realize we never, we never could, right? Let me just say these two things in closing. If, you're, if, you, if you find yourself at the place where you're struggling to believe, let me just urge you to place yourself under the authority of the scriptures. Let it, let it speak to you on the things you don't want to hear so that it can give you life and the message of life. Because, uh, I mean, this is, I think, how it would work out, right? Eventually, like all of us, your heart will be broken. You'll feel uh, rejected at some point. And how can, and Scripture says, when our hearts condemn us, he is greater than our hearts. But how can we receive that hope, that healing, that restoration to God, that forgiveness, if we've already put ourselves in a place to sift and judge Scripture and in a way, and therefore undermine not only the hard stuff, but its entire message of hope as well. Let yourself hear it and receive it. Yes, wrestle with the question. Please do. Um, but come to Sim and say, speak to me. And those of you, let me just say this as well. Like if you, find, if you feel like, oh, gosh, I feel like I probably have a pretty orthodox view of Scripture. Um, that's great. How, how, are you reading, how are you reading the Bible? Are you using it uh, for information? or for transformation. The word of the Lord should point us to the Lord, uh, not as an end in itself. Allowing it to point you to Jesus, to experience his grace, to meet him, uh, to meet him in the scriptures. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I just ask you right now, um, God, to let the, the truth of John 5 here just resonate with us. Uh, God, speak to us, Lord. I thank you for the written account of your word, that it does, uh, God, show us who you are. Lord, I thank you for uh, the person, the message, the life of Jesus. Uh, God, there's, there's none like him. Uh, God, thank you for this morning, a chance to gather together to consider these things. Amen.